This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. And now, from the Wharton Sports Business Summit at the University of Pennsylvania, a full day of learning and networking designed to bring students together with industry leaders. This is a Business Radio special presentation. Here's your host, Cade Massey. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Wharton Sports Business Summit, brought to you by SiriusXM's Business Radio Channel 132. I'm Cade Massey, professor here at the Wharton School, as well as a host of Wharton Moneyball here on Business Radio. I'll be hosting the second hour of this special two-hour program. We have four, hour, four guests this hour, the first of which I'm happy to have with me right now, Theo Fetter. Thanks Theo, for having me. Theo, glad you're here, man. Theo is a quantitative analyst with the New York Yankees, little organization a bit north of here you might have heard of. Theo, welcome to the program. Thanks. How, uh, what's, the, what's the vibe in the building up there in New York right now? So y'all had a good season, um, but you went down to your hated rivals. Uh, you've got a, a stacked roster, though. I think the future, most people think, is pretty bright. So I'm guessing the mood's not too bad. No, the, the mood is good. Yeah, I mean, it, it was tough to, to go down to the, the Red Sox and to see them go all the way and, and win the World Series. But we oh, have. So it was two part. It was bad to go down to them. And then it was also bad that they went on to do. That. Oh, yeah. That's the double. That's the, the worst thing as an analyst, in I my see. opinion. And an, uh, I grew up a Yankee fan, too. So it really, okay. really hits home. Um, but, it, you know, you, you get back up and you, you try harder next year and you, you crunch more numbers. Um, I yeah. think you guys that work for teams might be better at that than the average fan, actually, because you end every season in some sense not quite accomplishing what you wanted to unless you win the championship. So most teams are disappointed in some sense, but you have to get up and go do it the next week. And in my experience, I often come to guys who work for these teams more disappointed, it feels, or like more emotionally spun up than they are because you kind of have to be level about it in some sense yeah i think that that's totally right and you're you're following the team so much during the season and the ups and downs that you get used to those ups and downs the devastating losses the walk-offs and everything in between so when it gets to the playoffs yes it's it's terrible it's disappointing particularly losing to a rival but there is some um, experience there. And okay. it, I've been there for a few years now, so I know that a little bit. Okay. So you've been there for three years, f- three years full-time. Uh, this going into my third season full-time. Going into your third season full-time. Great. And you said you grew up in Yankees fans. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Rhode Island, which is Red Sox territory. Um, but my father is from the Bronx, and I spent a lot uh, of time here with uh, my grandparents. And so sort of wanted to be a contrarian and wanted <laughs> to identify with those roots. And so it became a Yankee fan. Okay. And then you went to undergrad in the Philadelphia area at, at Haverford and then eventually picked up a, a, a master's from Northwestern. They had this great quant program, right, out of Northwestern. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because listeners to this show might be interested to know. I'm not afraid to pimp that program. Great school, but an interesting program they have going on there. Yeah, it's a, it's a great program. It's called the Master of Science and Analytics. It's an in-person program, lasts 15 months with an internship in the middle, which is actually where I started with the Yankees. Okay. And it's a very uh, business and practically focused uh, program. So at any given point during your 15 months there, you will be working on a real project with a real company. Okay. So I worked with Allstate while I was there. I worked with Suddenlink, uh, cable company, working on real data sets. It's not toy problems that you might get in your run-of-the-mill Coursera or statistical class in college. Okay. What, do you th- what skills did you pick up in that job that have most benefited you? 
Yeah, I mean, there's obviously the basics of coding and, and you know, SQL and R and Python and learning how to wrangle data and things like that. But the most important skill I learned was experimental design, how to set up an experiment with a lot of data to think about different biases, you know, selection biases, measurement biases, and how to come to a conclusive result with that data. Obviously, there's the other things. Machine learning is obviously a hot topic. Learned a lot of different algorithms and methods that are useful for my day-to-day -day job. But I would say that critical thinking and experimental design is the most important. So tell me a little bit more about experimental design. I think I know where I'm coming, you're coming from, but I want to make sure because around here, when we think about experiments, we think about you know psychology experiments. And we're going to bring people into a lab and put them into two different conditions. You don't have the privilege, of, in most cases, of being able to run formal experiments. So what do you mean by that? That is true, yeah. They're, they're, we're not putting people in a lab. We're not putting baseball players in a lab. But basically, they've been in the lab their entire careers. We've been collecting data and are still collecting new data on them. And so there are a set of natural experiments, as people say, that, that pop up. What's an example of a natural experiment? Uh, I mean, a natural experiment is you have, it could be as simple as just one pitcher is throwing one day and another pitcher is throwing the next day, and the conditions otherwise are all the same, mm -hmm. and so you can see the difference in outcomes. Mm -hmm. That's a very, very, very elementary example, mm -hmm. but that would be one. So the experimental design is a framework. It's kind of the gold standard for um, ascertaining causality. You don't have the privilege of randomly assigning your players to conditions, but bringing that mindset helps you do better analysis, I think is what you're saying. Yeah, Even exactly. If, if you're working with archival data, if you still understand the principles of experimental design, it'll help you make, make fewer mistakes, for one, and right. better inferences. Yeah, we can't have randomized controlled trials, by, of course, but there are principles from experimental design that are very, very useful and undervalued, I would say. Where, you mentioned machine learning. Old guys like me like to say, kids these days... Kids these days, they just take these packages off the shelf and they drop the data into them and they think that that's all they need to do. And so I'm curious, as you've, you know, you work with the big team at the Yankees, so big that you won't tell me how many people it is, <laughs> which is not uncommon. This is the way teams are, but we, you know, we're, we're under the impression you've got a lot of people there. How often are you working with that kind of technology versus more traditional forms of statistical analysis? Um, it's hard to, to give a breakdown, but I would say... Um, more than in other industries, we actually do have places where we can really leverage those advanced sort of nonlinear techniques that are m more modern and being you know, taught and developed right now. But I would agree with you wholeheartedly that there's a major issue where folks learn the packages, they use them, they plug them in, they plug the data in, and they assume it's done. Yeah. And there's still a lot of pre-processing and structuring that folks have to do to get the models to do what they want. They're just a tool. Mm -hmm. You still need to think critically about, okay, what am I trying, what's my objective, and how do I need to reshape and structure this data so that the model will actually mm -hmm. do what it's supposed to do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can, can you give me an example of something that, uh, that you're finding hard in your job like that? What's, what's a challenge? What frontier are you pushing in your job right now? And it might be statistical, it might not be statistical. I think one challenge we have is once we get inside as a department, it's hard to stay up to date with what you are doing in academia. And that's why we like bringing in new blood, you know, whether it's through interns or new analysts, people who are coming from school and learning the cutting edge, because we are kind of siloed. We, by nature of being a 
baseball team or a sports team, we're not out there sharing ideas, doing best practices with, say, the Dodgers or any other team. We're not <laughs> right. saying like, oh, look at this model I built. You should try this. Like, yeah. we can't do that. Whereas if you're in some industries, you really can, especially academia. And so staying on the leading edge is really uh, a priority, but it's tough mm-hmm. for that reason. You know, some organizations travel. They go to, they go to other teams outside the, outside the sport. Like a baseball team might go visit a, a hockey team. Or yeah. Um, or they might bring in some high-performing organization from an entirely different industry. Do, do you guys do that kind of thing? Like, how is it that you're addressing that challenge? Yeah, so, I mean, part of it, like I said, was bringing in just new people who are smart and who've learned modern techniques. But we do what you're describing. I won't give any specifics, but we will go travel to visit other teams and have them come visit us mm-hmm. and talk to them about where they are, what data they have, how they're using it, mm-hmm. and what challenges they face, and kind of share best practices in a way that won't hurt us competitively mm-hmm. because they're in a different sport or at very least not in the same league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, the impact of being inside the organization as opposed to being a baseball fan all of your life, how do you, how's it changed the way you think about baseball? Do you, do you experience the sport much differently now that you're inside the building? Yes, I do. And the, the thing I would say is when you're outside the building, you think you almost know everything. If you're, at least if you're staying up to date with like, you know, blogs and ESPN and fan graphs, I now know how much I don't know. That's the key is there's so much little nuance that I have not picked up on. Every time I talk to a coach or a scout, it reminds me, the lack of knowledge that I have and need to learn, okay. which is exciting to me. Can, can you give us an example of something you've learned that you don't know? You know now, and you didn't know before, that you don't know. Um, off the top of my head, I prefer not. <laughs> this is the trouble. You guys are so concerned. This is, I mean, it's true about baseball. I mean, baseball is so, you've got a number of teams that are so sophisticated, and now they're not just the, teams without money now you've got teams with both money and sophistication yep and you really are competing over really small margins and so i'm actually sympathetic i've gotten more sympathetic because you know the indians might be you know privileged if you are the dodgers or the cubs or the astros my god you guys have to go through the astros the red sox are your own division yeah. i mean baseball more than any other sport does it feel this way on the inside because it looks this way from the outside that you guys are battling at the margin, battling on the frontier more than any other, any other sport. It's like fighting a, a war where you can't see the other side, though, because we don't know how far along they've made it. We see the product on the field, mm-hmm. right? But we don't know what their, their models are, yeah. what their thought process is. Yeah. We can only see the outcome of it. Right. So it, maybe once in a while an employee goes from one team to the other and you might get a general sense of what's mm-hmm. going on. But it's really hard, and, and beat writers don't really even scratch the surface mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. what's going on, especially in the analytics departments. Mm-hmm. So, in that in that in that situation, what do you what what are you trying to do then? How do you try to how do you measure yourself? How do you know whether you're doing well in terms of as an organ, as an analytics organization? I think there there's two mm-hmm. things. One is winning World Series is the ultimate goal, of course. But it's it's a little bit of a cliche, but it's process. It's that we have a really really good decision-making process that involves every single aspect of the organization from scouting to analytics to player development to sports science and so on and so forth and have great people leading all those departments. Well, well, it's scary to hear you describe that given the resources the Yankees have already and the brand the Yankees have and the recruiting advantage essentially they have (laughs) being in New York City. 
and now they're aligned in all of these ways. I know you've only been there three years or so, but when, when people talk about getting to that place, over what time are you talking? This is a, you don't get there overnight. This is something that's been, you've been moving toward probably for 10, 12 years. What's your sense of how different it is? How far back do you have to go to find a very different organization? Yeah, so in the mid-2000s, Brian Cashman, our general manager, hired an analyst, the first analyst, Michael Fishman, and he sort of created this analytics department. And along the way, it's grown and there's been more infrastructure built. And now he is, Michael Fishman, is the assistant general manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's become a bigger and bigger part of the organization as well. But, mm-hmm. it, you know, back in the early 2000s, there were probably a handful of people in New York doing baseball operations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, listen, um, really appreciate you being here. Theo Fetter, quantitative analyst for the New York Yankees. Thanks for being at the conference. Thanks for being a panelist for us today. And thanks for making time for the radio show. Thank you very much. A pleasure. You bet. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.